Welcome to episode 312 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Ugh, don't you just love it when someone asks to pick your brain and then after you give them maybe an hour or more of free advice, they ghost you. Then through the grapevine, you find out they hired someone else instead of you. You're not the only one that's happened to. It's something I've helped a lot of my coaching clients overcome. The good news is the solution is simple. You just have to ask a single magical question. Head over to RobbieSamuels.com forward slash magical and I'll send you the info you need to change a pick your brain conversation into a prospect call. Again, that's RobbieSamuels.com forward slash magical. I can't wait to hear how this works for you. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest works with organizations to design relationship marketing strategies that are measurable and implementable. He is a technology trends expert who uses his passion for technology, sense of history, and business strategies to help organizations use remote video and streaming technologies to build marketing that achieves business goals. He's a communicator who shares his knowledge as a speaker, virtual presenter, interviewer, author, and coach. Since 1983, He has been a marketing and communication advisor. He earned his certified speaking professional designation and is a member of the Speaker Hall of Fame. He also received the National Speaker Association's highest award, the Cabot, given to only one recipient per year. Please join me in welcoming Terry Brock. Great to be with you, Robbie. Terry, I'm so thrilled you're joining us live from Orlando, Florida. Thrilled that you're here. So as you know, this is a a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I think that leadership is bringing out the best in the people who are looking to you for guidance. Help them to become the best person that they can be. And for me, that is something that I had wanted to do for a long time. I think it started happening more after I got out of undergrad school, working in some of the areas where I was. I was in radio. My undergrad degree was radio, TV, newspaper, and I had worked in radio before. Being in there, I got a chance to be in a leadership capacity, helping customers to make the right decisions, working with others at the station. And I think, I think it's one of those things that we're constantly learning and getting better on all the time. At least that should be our goal. So helping people achieve, like there was a, there's a way in which there's an outcome oriented focus of that. Yeah, exactly. So they can achieve what is a worthy goal for them. I love listening to uh, Earl Nightingale, the Dean of Personal Development years ago. And he would say that progress and success is actually the successive progressive movement toward worthwhile goals. And I think that's what you want to do is find out what it is that they want to do. What These wonderful people that are following you, that are working with you, find out what it is that they're looking for, not just to accomplish the task at hand, but I think longer term. And what can we do for this moment that we're together called 
a month, a day, a year, a career, whatever it would be, where you can help them to become better at what they want to be. I love this. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a really, um, I feel like it's a very supportive role, the way you're describing it. Uh, it's not necessarily even about what you want. It's about nurturing the people who are following you. Yeah, exactly. You're nurturing them. And of course, when you're in business, you've got a goal. You can't just sit around and uh, slap each other on the back all the time going, hey, we're wonderful. Oh, yeah, you're one. No, no, you're wonderful. No, no. That's not what business is about. It's about let's get this done. We have an objective. We've got goals. Yes, money is a big part of that. But there's other areas, too, that we want to work with. And I think that's the real key that hit me when I was uh, uh, just thought of it right now. Uh, when I was out of um, my MBA program, I did a lot of consulting. I was in Atlanta at the time and did a lot of work with Coca-Cola, training them on spreadsheets, which was new at that time, and computers and technology. And I remember one of the people uh, there was very kind when he said he has looked at the people that he's working with who are with him right now, and how can he help them to be better wherever they go from here? in their career going different places. I thought, I never thought of it that way, but he's helping these people to grow and to become better in many different areas. And I thought that's a, a really good goal. And I think something that's really worthy of achieving. Uh, I've known a few um, managers who are true leaders that they're grooming the people who report to them to not to stay in that role forever, but to stay in the industry, to grow in the industry, to you know sometimes surpass them in what they accomplish. Um, I think we, it makes a lot more sense than burning out all the people that work for you, which I think is what a lot of people default to doing. Um, they By not nurturing what people really want and need and, and helping them grow in their role. Now you mentioned that this was something you first started really thinking more about after undergrad, uh, undergraduate years, but I'm, I wanna like roll the clock back a little bit. I'm always really curious to, to know kind of where people came from. And if I were to meet Terry on the playground, <laughs> what would you be up to? Or you know, did you run for office? Did your teachers recognize some leadership quality in you? Like, what were you like as a kid? As a kid, of course, I guess it depends on when we define kid. You know, I was a kid at two years old, a little bit different than when I was a kid at uh, 66, which I am right now. And so it's a little different. But I think that when I was, as I was growing up, I had opportunities to do a lot. I think one of the greatest gifts I had is I had parents who let me do my own thing. You know, within certain parameters, I could do a lot. And I was able to get out and do all kinds of different things. I, when I was a junior in high school, I started taking college classes at a community college nearby. And so I did that and then I increased that even more in my senior year and then graduated early and went on to college in uh, February instead of waiting for the June graduation. And then I came back in June, went through the graduation. And so I've always been interested in communicating, in writing. I'll have you know, Robbie, I wrote for the Bus 2 Express. I'll tell you, that was uh, the bus number two there at our little elementary school when I was in second grade. And so I started writing then and worked with it. And uh, mom and dad saw that I liked doing that. And they bought me a typewriter in uh, seventh grade. So I had, I still have that typewriter over there. You come, when you come by sometime, Rob, you have to come by and visit us sometime. You'll see the typewriter over there that got me through high school, then undergraduate school, and then my MBA program. So I still had to use that because we didn't have the computers back then. People are going, yeah, he's been around for a while. Yeah, but uh, I find that I like communicating. And I want to do that. And I feel like we're being leaders, you and I, in the work that we do as communicators. When we talk to people, when we write, when we use video, all of that. And I think that's why uh, you and I both know in the National Speakers Association, we have the designation CSP 
certified speaking professional. And I think that's good. I, as you mentioned, I be one of those, but I think we need to define ourselves as CSPs, as communicators who solve problems. And I think that's the real key because with technology changing so fast and our world in a tumultuous state right now, and it has been for a while, but I think even more so now, we need to think in terms of ourselves as communicators, thinking not just that we're a speaker who stands on a stage holding a microphone, talking to people who are there in person. That is a part of what we do. But we also communicate like you're doing so wonderfully now with, I love this title, On the Schmooze. I love that title. That is brilliant, Robbie. But we, you are communicating and you're solving problems. And I think that's what we need to focus on and what we'll do. And so that's kind of where I am right now, where I was as a, a kid growing up and what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to learn and keep learning and growing. And so I've been inquisitive and I like the idea of asking a lot of questions. So it drove my mom and dad nuts, I think, when I say, yeah, but how about this? And Yeah, but what about one of my favorites? Yeah, but what about? Because my mind is always thinking that way. But uh, they tolerated it and uh, put up with me. In so many ways, the way you're describing your younger self is how I would think to describe you today. You're a communicator. You love learning. You're really great at technology. Um, you're really great at explaining technology. Did you write for the school paper? Were you in the yearbook? Did you run for office? Did you like look for those kind of more formal leadership opportunities? Yeah, I actually did write for the high school newspaper and started a, or actually took over a community paper at that time, an underground paper. And I was there working with it. We sent it out to uh, different places around the, the community and also uh, worldwide. So it was at the time I was uh, uh, writing for many different reasons. And so I just enjoyed doing that. I found that writing was something that was fun. And when I had that little typewriter, hey, I could really go after it and uh, do a lot. And at 12, 13 years old, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I didn't know exactly, but I thought I would do some things with uh, communicating. I thought I might even be a minister. I did not know at that time. But uh, in the way I was being raised and where I was, I was thinking that would be an option, but I really didn't know. So I just, at 12 and 13, it was to get through school and uh, do what I could right then. And, and you did end up going, you mentioned undergrad. Um, yes. And you graduated with a degree, it sounds like journalism, and was was a focus of it, right? Yes. Clearly, you were interested in the, in the communicating part of that. That yep. stayed true. Um, and did you go into the world of journalism? Is that your first jobs? My uh, first job was in marketing and then uh, worked with the radio stations. Uh, it was a combo combination in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, K-O-K-L and K-L-L-S. And the AM station uh, was uh, country western, but I also did a farm report there. So what I did is I'd get up early in the morning and I'd go in and read the futures and I'd talk about what's going on in the farming community. And then I went out and sold the program, sold the ads for it in that community. So it gave me a really good experience. I think selling is one of the best things you can do uh, when you're getting started. I'd recommend that to anyone who has, has uh, children, learn how to sell, how to convince people and persuade others to go along with you. I learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes and enjoyed it. And then I remember I was in a meeting where they had the two managers of the two stations were there. I came in and was talking to them and I asked some question or whatever. They were just explaining to me. And he said, oh, Paul has a different P&L than I do. And I said, what's a P&L? 
I didn't know. And I really said, it's a profit and loss, Terry. That's what it is. We use those here in business. I thought, okay, I need to learn some of that. So I realized, okay, I need to go on and get one of those MBA thingies because we didn't do a whole lot of that mathematics and accounting and everything in radio, TV, and newspaper. So I thought, okay, that's what I need to do. So I started making plans for that and went on for the MBA. You know, you're, you're making me think back to opportunities I had when I was younger. My my father ran a flea market booth between uh, my ages of like eight and a half and 14 and a half. Mm-hmm. By the time I was 10, I was getting paid to work there. I think initially it was like, you know, $10 for the day. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually Ooh, it was hourly. Money. Yeah, it was big money. Um, but I mean, learning how to upsell, learning how to guide people to what they needed, Um it, yeah, it was definitely a, a huge learning opportunity, like you mentioned. And just knowing how to deal with the public and deal with adults who are way older than me. Um, yeah, those early skills really, really are, are helpful. And I feel like I have to find those opportunities for my own kids. So um, y- how long were you in this radio role? Did you, did you leave it when you went to the MBA? Was that sort of the, the next step? Yes, they had offered me a position of being manager of the station, which I thought, gee, that'd be nice and for a nice sum of money. But I realized, okay, I need to go back and get the learning. I need to do that. Mom had raised us all the time. Uh, they were, mom and dad were from Arkansas and they didn't have much education. They did get a high school education. That was it. And at that time in the 50s, the jobs were in Michigan. They had heard there were jobs. They were hiring in Michigan. So they went up to Michigan, which is where I was born and grew up in Michigan, lower mid Michigan. And I got a chance to see what it was like and to go from there. And so I I saw there was a lot of opportunities in reaching out and learning more. And uh, I guess that's just kind of the nature that I like to have of constantly learning and growing. I mean, speaking of which, I know that as new technology sort of comes out, you dabble with all of it. Has that been true with each iteration, like when websites became a thing, like how how did you sort of find yourself in the forefront of each of those new pieces of technology? I kind of found a fascination with technology and I like the idea of recording. I remember I was, uh, I think, 12 years old uh, when I discovered this thing called audio cassettes and a cassette recorder. And my friend had those. And I just thought, this is great. I can talk, hold this little microphone and press the record. You got to press record and play. So you press those two in there, make sure it's in there. And then you can listen to it again. And I thought, this is great. So I started working on that. And that kind of led me to get into radio. So I was in radio when I was 17, while I was also in newspaper there and doing that. It was a lot of fun doing it. So I've been doing that. And then as websites came along and social media, I've kind of done a lot of that. Right now, Gina, my fiance and my partner and I are working with Web3. So we're looking at things like NFTs, those non-fungible tokens, looking at virtual reality, which Robbie, by the way, don't tell anybody else, but just between you and me, speaker to speaker, where we're going to be later in the future, I think will be with virtual reality stronger than ever. And I think we are right now where we were when audio was first introduced on the internet. And now from think about where we were with audio on the internet to where we are now with video, I think we're going to take where we are now and going into virtual reality will be the same quantum leap ahead. So I'm always looking at new and whatever is new and what's going to be useful and practical. I'm looking at that. It is really interesting to hear someone who discovered (laughs) a cassette tape (laughs) was a thing now talking about NFTs, right? It's like quite the change of what's happened in your lifetime and that you have stayed interested and motivated to learn as each new piece of technology came out. I mean, there are people who, you know, got to CDs and were like, let's just stop having to like get rid of eight tracks and then get rid of, you know, 
are like they were like oh, can we just stick with this one thing and then mp3s came out and they're like i'm not, now i have a thousand cd because that's you know so and you were like let's just try the next thing let's try the next thing and it's a very different open uh stance to how new things come along which doesn't surprise me now in the hearing that that when you heard about nfts and virtual reality you were like huh let's see how this fits into this model of speaking as opposed to you know ignoring it or dabbling in it with no sense of purpose. I feel like the way you always talked about it is really relating back to the speaking profession, which is always interesting to me. Uh, yeah. But career-wise, though, where did you end up going? Like, Because you don't get paid to, to dabble in technology, um, or some. I guess some people might, but how did you make this into a, a career? Well, what I did is when I uh, got my MBA, I worked at a, a standard job, a J-O-B for a while, and then realized that's just not me. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So what I did is I went back to learn some skills about technology. And the way I did that is I graduated from uh, Georgia State with my MBA. And so we were right there in Atlanta. What I did is I went back and audited a course so that then I could get access to the computer lab. I did not have a computer, but I wanted to learn this newfangled thing called spreadsheets that were out there. And I remember, hey, that looks very similar to what we did with the cash flow statements. And when we could put those together and do it, I was not a finance or accounting major. Uh, my major was marketing within the MBA program. But I went back and I taught myself how to do this, working with the assistants, doing whatever we could. And then I started putting together real estate projections for real estate syndicators because they needed to do this. And the way they did it before was with calculators, green pieces of paper, and they'd have to make a change and take hours and days, sometimes weeks to do it. And so what I would do is I'd show them how they could use a spreadsheet. I'd put it together for them and they loved it because now they could do more deals and that, and I started teaching people how to do this. And then I got into uh, a place where the, uh, uh, the Georgia society of CPAs was looking at starting a computer lab and they happened to attend a class I was doing somewhere and they asked me if I would work with them. So I said, yeah, I'll go ahead and that'd be fun. So we started doing it and it was great because now I could show them how to change it. And eventually that led to me working with, I think 27 state societies of CPAs and the American Institute of CPA. Matter of fact, Robbie, the AICPA, American Institute of CPAs, kept calling me a CPA. You'd say I'd speak at a lot of conferences and stuff. They go, Terry Brock, comma, CPA. And I go, guys, I'm not a CPA. You might even get in trouble if you called yourself one and you're not. Yeah, I don't know what the laws are, but something like that. And they go, oh, okay. And then the next time they put Terry Brock, comma, CPA. I go, guys, I'm still not a CPA. You probably never will be. Still not right now. And then finally, they, they did it again. I said, okay, I give up. I am a CPA. And for me, that means constant party animal. So that's what I am as a CPA. You don't want me doing your spreadsheets, your taxes, or your write-up work, or any of that. But uh, so I had fun doing that, showing people how to do it, and started showing many others, like I mentioned Coca-Cola and uh, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, training executives, banks, uh, CEOs, and presidents in Atlanta how to use this newfangled thing called a spreadsheet. And that's kind of how my speaking business took off. It's amazing because I've actually never had the opportunity to talk to someone about that particular moment in time when this new technology came out that was like revolutionary and saving so many people hours to getting things done and how to communicate and yet very foreign <laughs> to like people like it's totally different it's not like you know you have a base like you you at least had some bases you were like well i've done some of this with like you know thinking about cash flow stuff but you you most people like hadn't done that. They were going from typewriters <laughs> to this model and didn't have that in between. So everything you've done was sort of an iteration and taking what you had learned before and experienced before and bringing it with you 
but you also love to teach, not just learn. And I'm curious how you found that first audience, because it's one thing to know something and another thing to monetize that something, because clearly what you knew was valuable, but how do you know who it's valuable to? So the real estate people, that was a natural fit. How did you stumble into that? And then that helped you sort of find the CPA community, which of course then had all the association world, which is a whole different place of getting known and, and getting paid to speak and such. So how did you make that initial leap? The way I did is I went to, I think I spent like $27.19 or something like that. It was an obscure number and put together some pamphlets that I left at a computer store saying, want to learn how to use spreadsheet? I can help you. And someone called me who was in real estate. He showed, I went over to their offices, saw what they were doing and said, hey, we can do this uh, very easily for you. And did kind of the same thing with the CPAs where I would show them, watch this. I'm going to change this number right here and it's going to ripple all the way across the spreadsheet. Of course, you and I go, yeah, so what? But back then that was a big thing. And I would do that in front of audiences of CPAs and they'd go, wow. And I, I often like to say many of those CPAs came dangerously close to actually having an emotion. It was, it was really amazing to see that. And, uh, but I think what we want to do, and the principle is, when I say to the person that's listening to this now, find what you can do to help people in a magnificent way, in some way that helps them solve a problem where you learn the skill. Like I learned spreadsheets at that time. Today, you might go out there and learn some NFTs and how you would apply it in your industry or learn something about virtual reality that's there or so, something like that, that you can then apply your skill. And I think the real key is find the combination that works. I can take my knowledge of banging my head against the wall there in the MBA program until I fig finally figured out cash flow and some of the financial concepts. Then I combined it with a new skill I had to learn about computers, put those two together, and it was magic. So find where you can make the magic. And I think, as they say, the magic is in the mix. Mm. I had a moment like that when I looked back at my success uh, since 2020, realizing that in some ways it felt inevitable. I've always enjoyed learning about how com you know, computers can help us sort of with a productivity mindset for how do you leverage computers and the applications of computers. I didn't realize how much MC skill I had. And in fact, I remember joining the MC uh, Facebook community for National Speakers Association yes. in 2018, feeling like an interloper, <laughs> which is so funny because I had never, at that point, no one hired me specifically to be an MC, but I had played the role in many ways um, for many years. And now it's a big part of what I'm doing as a Zoom producer and a host. And, um, and then it was just sort of like my skills around online facilitation. I did no appreciation that I had that skill or that that was something that most people didn't have. And so you kind of combine all these things, my desire to like get into the you know, hood of Zoom and figure out all the settings and then my desire to like really tweak facilitation to get the best outcome and my real focus on, you know, events being about not just content, but about connection. And suddenly, wow, of course it makes sense that I do well, right? So it's like that burgeoning moment, you have a choice to either apply everything you know um, or not. And I think that you're, you're a good example. I'm a good example that a lot of the, what we've done before can be mixed a little bit into a new passion or a new offer or a new way of providing support. And you putting your $27 and change investing in yourself, which, you know, it's, it's a little bit of money, but back then it's probably like a couple hundred dollars. I mean, it's not, yeah, it, was it's a like, lot. It, was, it was a lot of money, you know, like now it sounds like not a lot of money, but we're going back a few decades. So 
that was an investment in yourself to be seen, to have people find you. I mean, today that might be equivalent to like, you know, getting out bulletin boards. So um, mm -hmm. very cool that you sort of were proactive and followed through on that. But you didn't yeah, stay there. How did you, you know, once you discovered speaking as a thing, because that's really what was happening here, suddenly speaking became a bigger part of your, your sort of professional uh, life, it sounds like, and you really nurtured that part. How, what happened next with that role? There was a pivotal moment for me. It was uh, in uh, 1988, and I was in New York City uh, speaking at the uh, Marriott right downtown, and uh, I was there for a conference of CPAs for those in the continuing professional education area, CPE, and the, from all over the country, they were there. I spoke, it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday event. I spoke on Thursday and Friday. I was finished then, and it was going to go until noon, I think, like on Saturday, and there was a speaker it was scheduled to speak as that uh, the closing session and that I had heard of before. I'd seen him uh, with his audio cassette tapes on Nightingale Conant. And I said, I want to go meet this guy. So I got there. He was starting, I think, at 8 o'clock. And I th thought, I'm going to get there early. I got there at 7 and he was there getting things set up, getting prepared. And I introduced myself and told him I was a speaker here as well. And he said, well, are you a member of the National Speakers Association? I said, what's that? And he got a piece of paper and he wrote down 602 nine six eight two five five two which was the number at that time now it's a 480 but it's a it was 602 and i said okay fine well thank you and i checked on i said well do you have a, a chapters and locals and something he said oh yeah and i said i wonder if they have one in atlanta and he said oh yeah we do and so i thanked him he did a great job and by the way his name jim cathcart who is a dear friend of mine now, and I'm forever grateful to Jim Cathcart for bringing me into introducing me to NSA. But I had a decision to make. And everyone listening to this, you have these moments in life. I had been a speaker for about five years. I was doing okay on my own, but I also bumped into a lot of walls, so to speak, and made mistakes. And I thought, here's a pivotal moment. I don't need to just join and pay the dues. I need to join and get involved, get actively involved. And I thought, okay, I'm going to think about this. And I thought about it and I said, yes, I'm going to do it. I mean, before I got on the plane to go back home. And I'm so glad I did because it turned my life around professionally and personally. And for me, it was the right thing. We each run into moments like that from time to time. You've got to know what you want to do. Have your goals and your orientation of how you are in life set out so that you can comply with that and do what is right for you. For me, I've said, I'm going to do it, and I'll put in the time, money, and energy to make it happen. And I'm very glad I did. And as a result of that, I got a chance to meet you too, Robbie. So uh, I'm glad that I made those decisions. Well, shout out to Jim for, for being the conduit. I love hearing these, uh, these moments. I've heard other speakers talk about how they went up to some speaker at an event and sort of said, what else do you do? And the person's like, I speak. What do you mean, what else do I do? They're like, this is your job? <laughs> and they're like... Yeah, I like I, this is my job, and they're like, you know what? <laughs> and then they learn that this is a profession, and they learn about NSA, and then they get brought in, right? Like, the, it was hard to understand because I think the people you were listening to in those cassette tapes were very far removed from where you were professionally, and there were it wasn't as clear what the steps were to go from where you were to where they were. Um, they were like titans in the industry, yeah, and. Other than that, like who else is putting out cassette tapes, you know? Um, so it's really cool that, that you've been part of this for 30 plus years, part of NSA. I joined NSA at the uh, beginning of 2015. I left my day job at the end of 2014. So like a month later, I joined. I had been Good. part of a professional association in my old 
career. So I just thought this is what you do. And I committed to showing up uh, for the next 10 years of the events and getting as involved as I could and then deciding whether it was worth it. <laughs> so I just figured, you know, it's the people, it's the relationships, it's who I'm going to get to know, it's what I'm going to learn from them. And um, that's why I run the NSA Rainbow Speakers Group for the LGBT speakers and our allies. And I also um, part of the I host the mic swap uh, networking event each month. So, you know, looking for leadership opportunities and ways to show up and be, be visible and learn and give back. I agree with you. I mean, if you're going to commit, that's how you're going to get more out of it for anything we do, whatever the opportunity is in front of us. And you have gotten a lot back. <laughs> it's you've really made your way into this world as a profession. Your your work has shifted. You stopped talking about Excel spreadsheets to CPAs at some point. How did you find your new topic? Like, how did you? And did it have to keep evolving? Like, has there been sort of an always an evolution, or did you finally sort of find out there's communications the thread, and then like the modes change? Like, how do you think about the work that you do? Robbie, what you're asking about there is extremely important, not only for me, but to everyone listening. Yes, you have to keep changing. You know, it would be great if I could have stayed with Lotus 123, which was the spreadsheet I used back then. Uh, and I studied the market, you know, that was the one I thought it would do really well. And they did for a while. And but the market changes. And so whatever we're doing, it is changing. Everyone that's listening to this right now knows, hey, it's not the way it was even a few years ago. Things have changed. So you've got to change. Hey, welcome to planet Earth. It works that way here. So we've got to adapt and say, all right, what do we do? We can learn from history, I think. If we look at how people did it, particularly people that are no longer with us, you know, books like that, and you can see what did they do? How did Napoleon deal with those challenges he had? How did uh, uh, Harriet Tubman deal with the challenges she had and overcome this? These kinds of things we can learn. And I think, yes, we have to keep learning and changing. I mentioned NFTs and virtual reality. These are on the horizon right now, we're being, they are being used, and I think they're going to go even farther. I'm doing a lot with crypto, and you mentioned being MC. I've been MC different places. Matter of fact, got a chance to start MCing at a conference we went to, and it started growing, and I was there to help it along, giving professional ideas on uh, being the MC. And uh, just recently, they featured that event in a way on HBO, HBO Max, and Gina and I are featured in there in a couple different places. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool <laughs> if we get a chance to see that. But then put yourself out there, become very valuable, get skills that people will pay you for. That's what we've got to do. Think about what is it that the market is looking for, not just get a, a degree in something that they don't care about. You want something where people say, oh, you can do that for us? How much would you charge? Oh, that's a reasonable price. Okay, come on in. We'll pay you to do that. And that's where I'm thinking as an entrepreneur, our company, or what Gene and I do now is Stark Raving Entrepreneurs. And that's our real threat. We used to be, and you were with us, and video rock stars. And we found that we needed that during the pandemic. A lot of people needed to know, okay, what kind of a camera should I get? How do we broadcast? How do we do Zoom? And you did a marvelous job when you came and talked to our folks there in Video Rockstars. But we realize now people have shifted. They want to have their entrepreneurial business. They will always want that. How do we, yes, we'll use video, but how do we present ourselves? How do we increase sales? So we came up with, uh, I came up with the name a while back, Stark Raving Entrepreneurs. Just sounds a little bit edgy out there and say, let's have some fun with this and let's show people how they can create their own world the way they want with the, for us, the real key is not just entrepreneurs, but strongly with live and let live as the philosophy.
that you go out and do whatever you want to do. And I emphasize whatever, use your imagination, as long as you take responsibility for what you're doing and you do not hurt others. You don't hit other people. You don't take their stuff. Let people do what they want to do. And as long as it's peaceful, fine, have a good time. And so that's kind of the philosophy that guides my life. Uh, Leonard Reed said it really well years ago. He was the founder of the Foundation of Economic Education. And he said three words that I think are the gr a great philosophy. Anything that's peaceful. And you think that's the filter. If I need to make a decision. Is this the right thing to do? Is that the right thing? Uh, I just run it through that. Is it harming anyone? Is it being responsible? If it is, even if I look at it, I go, oh, that's kind of weird and goofy. Well, that's okay. Let them do it. Now, if somebody starts hurting, that's a different thing. They start hurting you, then we need to stand up and we defend ourselves. But we, li we live and let live as entrepreneurs. And uh, was entrepreneurship uh, as an audience wasn't your initial audience? How did you shift from working with CPAs and other business professionals and then decide that entrepreneurs were going to be the focus. I mean, technology trends expert, you could really be, it could be any field in a lot of ways. A lot of folks need what you're doing. I also hear the term, you know, futurist used to talk about what's coming. And like, I think those people are very creative and that's a lot of how I think you could use that term as well. But how did you sort of decide on the audience that you wanted to serve? I listened to what the market said as I was writing my journals and I'd write my newsletters and send those out and people started resonating with what I was doing. Matter of fact, I remember one thing uh, helped me a lot. It's made me a lot of money is when I was looking at all the e-commerce they were talking about, the e-commerce. I thought that's good. E-commerce is good and nice, but really it's about relationships. So I came up with the idea of it's really our commerce. And so I wrote a book, Relationship Marketing. It's not about the e commerce, electronics, it's about our commerce, relationships, building relationships. And I noticed when I'd write about that, people would say, wow, that's great, Terry. And meeting planners would ask me, could you come and talk to our group about that? I thought, okay, yeah, we can work something out. So I started doing that. And I think that that is really the key. What can we do to build relationships that are mutually beneficial, where you're helping others in a live and let live style? Wow, this is a perfect segue to talk about so networking more specifically, because I'm always curious, people who've done really well in their careers and their profession, you know, aren't doing it on their own. They've built some kind of following or community or whatever they might call their fans. And I think there's sort of that inner circle of people that you know you're going to stay in touch with or easily pick things back up with whenever you do connect. But then there's sort of the second and third layer or second, third tier out, the people that you might see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you haven't really had a reason to since. Now, I should mention these are people you enjoy and they enjoy you. So that's sort yes. of a given. But how do you think about staying in touch and staying connected and nurturing those kind of connections, those, those people that you aren't going to see all the time? Are any habits, philosophies, or practices to help you stay top of mind? Yeah, I'd say it's very important that you understand why you need to do this. You need to stay in touch with people. No one is an island. You've got to be out and get out there and, and work for it. One of the things we say a lot at our Stark Raving Entrepreneurs meetings is the Japanese saying that we use a lot in Silicon Valley, none of us is as smart as all of us. And so what we want to do is connect with the right kind of people. And my friend Harvey McKay, uh, who's also in the Speaker Hall of Fame and has written some books, says it's very important that you have a lot of different groups. 
he would tell me how he's involved with people over here in this group that might be a local uh, synagogue that he goes to, or and over here business leaders in this area and speakers over here. And then you're able to have many different kinds of communities that you can be involved in, but probably have two or three where you put most of your effort. Build those, and I think look at how you can help them out. I think BNI, when Ivan Misner is the uh, founder of that, really good. They look at how we can help other people, not just walking up going, hi, I'm wonderful. Here's my card. I'm the one that will do this for you. You go, no, 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 no. You know, go back to do it kind of like in LinkedIn. I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody else, but you connect with somebody, and immediately you start getting all of their stuff that the boilerplates that they've got telling you hey I, we could do this i go no 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 no, kids you don't do it that way you get to know somebody you get to see what they're like so focus on helping the other people are you doing an- anything in particular terry to do that for yourself yeah one of the things i'm doing is i like to make sure that i'm out on linkedin and not just saying yes or no but give a little bit more response when i can and i find a good way to do that by the way is you can have your smartphone and reach as i reach over and grab my smartphone have that with you have linkedin there and you can leave a voice message very fast and it's also more intimate and more personal because if you have a voice message that's there and it's under 30 seconds it's almost like you have to listen to that. Wow, somebody gave me a voice message. I got to listen to this because we don't get a lot of them. And so using that and finding ways that you can stand out. And I love using voice for video and getting that out and sending people messages. A good tool is Loom, L-O-O-M. Gives you the ability to create the video and then send that to someone in a really nice way so they know, hey, this is really Terry sending it. It's not a form letter that I've done. It's like, hey, how you doing, Jim? Hope you're doing well. Love seeing you last weekend. Looking forward to next March when we get back together again for da-da-da-da. Something that's personal or helping them. And I think that's what we've got to do. Find ways that you can help them find out their needs and be there to help them. I love these little tips around personalization. I'm a big fan of uh, Loom messages. I've, um, I remember one client that I um, got hired for, I really think that I thought to send a Loom message in my reply. So they asked me some questions and I did a video reply and then I, I also itemized out some of the key points in the email itself. Uh, so they could you know, easily copy that or skim that. And, you know, but it shows you my personality, right? Like I'm, I'm not a robot who's just answering questions. Like that's just what you use from Google. Uh, and that they were like, we really did want someone who was going to be not just behind the scenes. And they hadn't even said that, but they sort of on their wish list wanted someone who could have an on-air presence as needed to, em- they didn't have the word MC in mind, but they were like, we kind of need someone to move people from here to there. I, I, again, they didn't have a word for it. Suddenly they were like, wait, you can do the tech and you can be in front of the camera. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. And that video conveyed that without me actually having to sell it. And I think, you know, that's useful, but also like you're saying catch up. I, I have a friend who always does um, uh, audio uh, for Facebook Messenger too. So mm-hmm. I love that little, uh, little shout out to Blake Fly. He was a big fan of that. We will have asynchronous messages back and forth, um, which is really helpful uh, not having to wait to schedule a call sometimes. So I love these little little pieces that you do, um, and you're pretty active on LinkedIn. Is there any other um, like newsletters or hosting things? Like how how are the other ways that you feel like you're sort of bringing people into your world? 
One of the big ways is our uh, Stark Raving Entrepreneurs YouTube channel, which we then pull the audio out of that and use that for the podcast. And so we've got those, and that's something that is natural. It's something that Gina and I like doing as we put that together. And then we'll be on the other platforms. We'll say, here's Twitter. I use a tool called Sendable, which is similar to others like uh, Meet Edgar, Agora Pulse, a co-scheduler. There's some really good tools out there like that so that I can take my post. I can put a note there. Important person talks about this important topic. You want to hear it now. Here's the link. And so I can do that. And I can put that on Twitter. I can put that on LinkedIn and people will see it. And that drives them over to YouTube to watch the video. And I think that that's uh, important. One of the things we're getting into now even more is we want to be able to take excerpts and use those excerpts to say, listen to what smart person said last week when I interviewed her. She said this and she was just amazing. Listen to this. And it goes for a minute, 37 seconds or some small amount. And I come back and I can say that was really good. And to hear the entire interview, here's the link. So that way, it's, uh, it's what I call the Costco approach. You know, you go to Costco and they got these wonderful people there at the end of the aisle and they're going, hey, we've got something here that you can taste. We go, oh, what is that? I mean, whoa, that's really good. Can you get more of those? Well, we've got several here and they're on sale today. You can get three of them for this price or whatever. Everyone's better off that way. So you give a little sample of what they've heard and they go, oh, I had not heard of her, but she's really good. I want to hear more of her content. I want to hear that full video. And that's called repurposing. And it's something I think we all need to do a lot more. There's a really clever way people do this the, with audiograms. So yes. if you don't want to, you can do it with clips of video, but you can also, as you mentioned, strip out the audio and create some great branding. Um, it's something we've started playing with in my business a little bit more. It's, um, it's, fun to do. And I, I was actually able to use some older testimonials that were on video. Um, and, you know, not everyone is camera ready <laughs> for video right. when they're at the end of your program and you get some great feedback at the very end of a, a, a day long workshop or something. But oh, yeah. if you pull out the audio, you can still use it and you can use their great LinkedIn photo to go with it. And that they'll approve then even if they didn't want to have the uh, the backlit video that they had shown up in their pajamas. Yep, um, very so, good point. Yeah, great, great tools you're mentioning. Uh, and you said, um, what was the tool that you use uh, for scheduling? Oh, I use one called Sendable. Sendable. Sendable yeah. lets me schedule it so I can say, I want this one to go out next April the 3rd or whatever. And I've scheduled it in there so it'll go out at the right time. Or I can have it repeat every so often. Something that would be really good. I can schedule it to go out. Like often I'll use like every uh, 36 hours or every 52 hours, because then what happens, my market is around the world. I've got people in Australia, over in Europe, et cetera. And so if I send out, let's say, 12 noon U.S. Eastern time, okay, I'm right there. If it goes out 36 hours later, that means now the others are getting it at 6.30. You know? And then the next time it goes out, it'll be 12 midnight, which will be probably 2 in the afternoon over in Sydney, Australia. So by having it, as I like to say, walk around the clock. So it's walking around that clock with the message, something like that, that a scheduler can do for you can be very helpful. That's really awesome. One of the reasons I, I had used Meet Edgar early on was the ability to do some scheduling and repeat. And then that went away. So it sounds like uh, I want to look into this tool because it sounds like you found one that is working with Twitter. I remember asking uh, Dory Clark, um, mm -hmm. wonderful lady. great friends, she's good, good people to ask these kinds of questions. Um, when should I schedule? And she said, oh, I, I just do it twice an hour every hour. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And then I got to the point where I was like, I have a lot of content. I really could do that. You know, when you have enough information out there, 
Um, so it, it, if you have good information to share, it's great to keep putting it out there. Um, people don't see the first time you put something out there. If they, if they do, they need to see it seven times before they buy, right? Yeah. That's the, the adage around that. So I love this. So one of my um, favorite questions, it's our wrap-up question is, you know, Terry, you, you and I and Gina are going to stay in touch. Thrilled that that's true. We keep crossing yes. paths. It's a year from now. And I, oh my, Terry, a year ago, I was interviewing you for On the Schmooze. And I'm going to, of course, want to ask you, like, what have you been up to in the past year? What are we going to be celebrating a year from now when I ask you that question? We're going to be celebrating the fact that we have a growing company. We're having a growing body of uh, people that are there in our stark raving entrepreneurs, helping them. What I want to do is I'm at a point right now where I've got a lot of good things in life, and I'm grateful for that. What really excites me is helping other people get a lot more of what they want. Getting more money. Yeah, they taught us about that in business school. Okay, they knew that. We can do that there, work with it. Gina and I both have our MBAs. I got in mine from Georgia State. Gina, even though she's from Atlanta, did not get into Georgia State. She had to settle for another little school up north that uh, not even a, a public school, a little private school called Harvard and had to do it. But I still love her no matter what, you know, even that we won't, won't hold that against her. But what we do is we want to help people to understand more of what they can do in business, learn some of the tools and learn how to do what they need to do to achieve their goals. That's what I want to say a, a year from now that we're helping even more. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. It sounds like an amazing thing. And all the people you help are going to be in a better place doing more. And the ripple effect's going to be outstanding. Um, you, you do attract some amazing people. And I love whenever I get a chance to support your community. How can people find you and follow your work? Well, probably the best would be go over to the website, and that's real simple. I got all the contact and the information there at terrybrock.com. And since Terry and Brock can be spelled different ways, it's Terry is T-E-R-R-Y, and Brock is spelled the right way, B-R-O-C-K. So terrybrock.com, that'll get you access to all the content and all the goodies that we have for you. Fantastic. We'll put those links. And I also think I have a link to your LinkedIn and your Twitter right on the um, show notes page at ontheschmooze.com. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really fun conversation. Robbie, an honor to be with you, sir. I really appreciate you. Glad to know you and have you as a good friend. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Terry. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 312. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's overcome challenges to achieve success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.